social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. It is the first full week of July, and I have already gotten a back to school ad. I used to love back to school shopping. Oh my gosh, it's actually the best. But Kohl's has targeted me on Twitter with their back to school campaign already. Are you in the market? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, why are you getting this ad? I'm very confused by it, but it brings back lovely memories of going to Staples and Kohl's to buy all of my back to school supplies and wardrobe. The backpack that I just replaced mm-hmm. was from Kohl's from wow. when I went to college. Amazing. Speaking of college, yes, I want to talk about the new NCAA advertising rules. Yep. So in case you missed it, I guess it was last week now, the NCAA announced that college athletes can now make money off their likeness so they can now be influencers <laughs> and have <laughs> brand partnerships. It's actually very exciting because I feel like we've been watching this news slowly unfold right. for a while now. And I've seen on Twitter, like I follow a bunch of just marketing people and they're saying that athletes are reaching out to them directly mm-hmm. being like, can I work with you and your brand? It's a big next step for them. And I mean, look at what Barstool is doing. I can't believe I'm bringing Barstool up on this podcast, but yeah, Dave Portnoy posted like a TikTok video the day of the that the ruling was announced yeah. that he was starting like the first marketing agency for NCAA athletes yep. and kind of being there, I guess agent of sorts. Yep. Some users on Twitter have actually been sharing what the behind the scenes of the application process to be a barstool okay. athlete looks like. And it, they're asking for their shirt size, what school they play for, what sport it is. And then in return, they just have to say in their bio that they are a barstool athlete. Wow. So we'll I, see what they do. I think it's great how quickly Barstool jumped on it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So. I know. So another update that happened last week is that the CEO of Instagram, Adam Oseri, said, we are no longer a photo sharing app or a square photo sharing app. There's some really serious competition right now. TikTok is huge. YouTube is bigger. People are looking to Instagram to be entertained. And I feel like I'm having deja vu because I remember when Facebook started prioritizing meaningful engagement and meaningful time spent on the platform. Um, And this is actually the first time I heard that Instagram or someone at Facebook has called out TikTok by name. Yeah, definitely. Clearly acknowledging that people are preferring that experience. We talked about it last week that there's like some kind of subset of TikTok who hates Instagram. Instagram, I know. Yeah. It's funny because it's all the competition is really starting to blur together. It's like, what do you get from one platform that the other can't offer you? Right. Well, because also last week, TikTok announced a time extension. Right. So now your TikToks can be three minutes long. Right. Which I am upset about because like you said, like I wanted, I like TikTok for the specific reason of that short content. Brings me back to the Vine days. Yeah. Just stick to what you know, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other comment I wanted to make was about it not being a square photo sharing. Yeah. One of the things that we've seen successful too is more vertical video, more vertical image performing, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. still at the core, people expect when they see Instagram content for it to be square, which I just think is (laughs) so funny. No longer. No. Do you remember your old favorite Instagram filter? Um, lo-fi. Lo-fi. That, that, I think. Yeah, that was a classic. And then there's one called Early Bird that made it all like warm and, and like sepia tone. They still have all those filters, Oh, right? I know. Like but, I, I've never, I haven't used them in a while. Just go to the Visco. Yeah, just brings me back. <laughs> Square, native filters. Those were the days. <laughs> 
If only it was so simple. So a little teaser for our guests today. We talk a lot about influencer marketing, yeah. but I wanted to bring up before we get into the interview, Caroline Calloway, one of the first influencers, I guess, to exist. If you don't know her backstory, she... So there's a lot of I don't drama even know her again. I'm yeah. like, yeah, go read the expose. But she is <laughs> launching a skincare line called Snake Oil. And she is making it herself. It's $75. And she will ship it directly to your house if you are willing to try this concoction she is putting together. I'm scared. I will not. I'd love to try it. Honestly, (laughs) she almost had me going to her flower crown workshop at one point. (laughs) Okay, let's tell them who we're talking to today. So today we're talking to Agnes Cozera, who's the co-founder of Podcorn. And she's also the co-founder of FameBit, which was acquired by YouTube slash Google. But today we talked to her about how she is creating opportunities for micro-influencers, specifically in the podcast space, to monetize and work with brands. And as podcasters ourselves, we found this interview quite interesting. (laughs) Let's hear it. Hi, Agnes. Welcome to All the Social Ladies. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to jump right into our social media speed round. We're going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions and answer as quick as you can. Okay. Ooh. Okay. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite social network? Has to be YouTube. I love YouTube. Ooh, great answer. We haven't gotten one of those in a while. (laughs) Do you pronounce it GIF or JIF? GIF. I don't know, but which one is it? I think it's technically JIF. Is it really? I feel very strongly that it's GIF. I I think that's the most like commonly used. Hmm. But GIF is peanut butter. Sure. You know? (laughs) What Instagram ad can you not get rid of? It's always some sleep meditation situation (laughs) because I'm always scrolling way too late at night and it's following me around for me to get to sleep. But I never actually try the products (laughs) out. So but I should. Maybe that's their strategy to put you to sleep. Yeah, perhaps. Okay. What is your go-to emoji? It's always the one, the like the face that's like doing the heart kiss. Who is your favorite celebrity to follow on social? Okay, this is like a guilty pleasure, but it has to be Justin Bieber. I'm Canadian, so I think it's Justin Bieber, but I follow a lot of influencers, not mm-hmm. really traditional celebrities. So a lot of like fashion influencers, like I love in the fro, like just her fashion posts are really mm-hmm. great on Instagram. And then I follow different people on YouTube than I do on Instagram, but it's a lot of fashion people because I like clothes (laughs) way too much. (laughs) Stories or feed? Feed, I think. And then what was your first screen name? Oh, I don't know. It was something ridiculous. Like it was definitely, I had the word, my name Aggie in it, but like with like three G's and then something like cutie girl. And then like a weird sequence of numbers that... (laughs) I don't, don't know mean if anything I, that don't mean anything <laughs> like zero zero one four. I don't know. It was something maybe some stupid. secret code. Yeah, yeah. perhaps yeah, to your but... like password journal. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but it was absolutely too long and ridiculous. I love the password journal. Good throwback, John. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. I really want to talk all about your entrepreneurial career. That's why we're here. We're kind of fangirling over all of the things that you've done. So I just want to know to start this off how you got your start and how you got the itch to become a founder in the first place. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I never really had the founder. I mean, maybe I guess I had the founder itch because even before I co-founded Famebit or, or Podcorn, 
which were um, like my two most relevant companies. I think I actually leveraged influencers for my first business, Seasons Box. So that was more of like a passion side project while I was studying law. So I never, um, I was a student and I never really expected to get into entrepreneurship. I was planning to be a lawyer. I had already actually done my master's in law. So I was at the time teaching. I had just wrapped up my master's. I had gone into law school. So I was really um, on that path, but I don't know, just as a side project, because I wasn't really making enough money teaching, I started a subscription commerce company that was really early on in the sort of birch box days. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just loved the idea of curation and curating an experience. And I was living in Canada and I loved changing seasons. So I thought, why not do something where I can put the feeling that you get from different seasons in a box, whether it's like fall or summer. Um, so that's kind of how that was born. And I, I wanted to do like full size organic and unique products that you wouldn't find in your regular stores. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so the idea was born, but I had no marketing money, um, or anything. And it was just like a side after school sort of thing. Yeah, you're and like then side hustle. I love that. With all that free time you had, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. I didn't really, but it was just, it was fun. It was fun for me. And I was watching a ton of YouTube. So I couldn't work with any of the agencies. They didn't want to work with me because I didn't have the budget to work mm-hmm. with their creators. And a lot of the people that I was watching were actually smaller creators. So I outreached to them and they were super excited actually to hear from me. They loved my founding story. And so I just developed this tribe, mostly of women at the time who said, you know, send me your stuff and I'll tell my fans about it if I like mm. it. And then it sort of spiraled on its own from there. And I saw a 20x return in under three months and I wow. could barely keep up making boxes at home anymore because this influencer thing was working so well and was yeah. moving my product and all the brands that were in my box were like, what are you doing? Um, why, <laughs> we can't even you- do this ourselves. Yeah, like, how are you selling our product out so fast? And so, yeah, I thought something's got to give and there was a bigger business in this. And so at the time, my co-founder now, he was doing another company and so uh, that he had co-founded and he was like, this is a great thing. This is really working. Let's build a business around this influencer thing. Mm And, and make it easier for people. So he's like, if you quit law school, I will quit my company and we could do this together. Wow. And it was really scary at the time. I and say, I, and I cried myself like? to sleep yeah. a lot. Yeah, that seems so intimidating. <laughs> it's a big moment. Yeah, I know. But honestly, I had I, I actually like went for lunch and dinner with a bunch of professors and they all encouraged me to quit and wow. said, you know, law school will always be here. This mm. is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I was very lucky, even though my mom was like, you're out of your mind. That was like the one person that was not supportive at all. Someone, yep. at Someone has to be the voice of reason, I guess. So that's the role she was taking on, right? Yeah, she's like, you worked all your life to get here and mm-hmm. now you're dropping it and like moving to San Francisco to join an accelerator and you're going to be broke for the rest of your life. <laughs> but look at you now. Yeah, and, and it all worked out. But I think that's the thing, you know, if you, I don't know, jump out of a plane and then you're building your parachute, you're going to figure it out. So that's right. kind of how I felt the whole time. I think the pressure of needing to make it work also really totally. pushed me as a founder and pushed me to figure out like I was the first salesperson, like I was the first campaign manager. So I was really doing a lot of the things myself. And I learned the business, all aspects of it, which made me better at hiring the right people for the roles. Mm-hmm. And just I understood everything. And also because of Seasons Box, because I had that little experience, even when an investors told me no, that you know, YouTube was for cat videos, that this was a stupid <laughs> idea, and no yeah. one was ever going to use it. I kind of knew it worked. So yeah, I was able to 
to keep at it. And I don't know, I've just always had a growth mindset, I think. Yeah. So I never really cared about switching careers that much. I think there are people who are like 18, you know, they go on a certain path and they're like, oh, I can't switch anymore. And there right, are people right. who are in their 30s who feel comfortable starting over or even in their 50s. So I think you just have to have a growth mindset, and not feel that whatever you study or whatever you do. There's no right path to something. Yeah, that you don't have to pursue a career on it. There's, yeah. you know different passions and, and different opportunities open a lot of doors. So I've always been curious and explored and it sort of just led me to this path. <laughs> okay. So when you jumped out of the plane for this company, right? <laughs> figuratively, um, fame bit, tell our listeners kind of a little bit about what that is and how it got then acquired by YouTube. Yeah. So Born out of my pains of Seasons Box, where it was very difficult to find creators, figure out how to contact them, how to price them, manage everything in messy spreadsheets, we <laughs> built a platform that allowed brands and YouTubers to find each other, collaborate directly without a middleman, and work together on these fun campaigns. So it was basically that we removed the middleman out of the process, allowed creators who weren't just, you know, the biggest mm -hmm. YouTube stars to be able to find the right brands to work with and to, and for brands to be able to do it at scale. So we were kind of scaling the unscalable and it worked really well. We're able to provide a ton of value to the YouTube community. And a lot of creators were able to move into YouTube and, and monetize in ways that they weren't monetizing through AdSense. Yeah, right. Cause you know, if you're not big, it's hard, right? To, make the um, money, to monetize through traditional advertising. So they were able to set their own prices and do all sorts of things. So, you know, a lot of cool things were born, whether it was like get ready with me's or hauls or tutorials, lookbooks, fun things, um, fun ways to integrate brands. And we did a great job. Yeah. And then in 2016, Google came knocking and said, Hi, you guys are killing it. <laughs> I know. I know. That was really a strange moment. Yeah. Very um, surreal. Very surreal. They came knocking and they said, you guys are doing a good job. We talked to a lot of our creators. It seems like they're monetizing from you and the community's happy. Are you interested in getting acquired? And that was the start of a very long process. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, we thought like, great, we're getting acquired, but no. It took over six months, I think, of due diligence and being in this, I don't know, messed up mindset of like, is this going to happen or yeah, not yeah. for a company? And then you can't really tell the team or right. majority of the members of the team. So it was a hard but amazing period. And thankfully, it all worked out and we got acquired and we integrated into YouTube and FameBig grew and we were able to do a lot more good as a starving startup. So right. That's kind of that. And and yeah, certainly a dream come true for me on a founder level, because that's of something course. I would have never Expected, dreamed up or, yeah, or yeah. imagined. Yeah. I feel like you were very much on the cutting edge of the influencer creator type of world as well. Does it feel that way? Like, did you really think you had stumbled onto something that felt so fresh and like a first, like a first, did it feel like that to you? It felt to me like a first that I was really recognizing the micro influencer. Yeah, I felt yeah. like an insider in the sense that no one believed me that it was working <laughs> and that smaller creators could actually convert for brands, but I had sold out of my product. So I knew You're firsthand. Like the, I have the proof here. I have the data and the dollars to prove this. Yeah. Yeah. You just couldn't fool me, you know, that, and, and, you know, there was a lot of like, multi-channel networks and agencies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were saying, and a lot of investors were saying th this too, that, you know, creators aren't sophisticated enough to do it themselves. They all need agents. Like this is going to be a bust, like forget about it. 
Um, no one's going to want to do it themselves. Like brands aren't sophisticated enough. And, and that's not true. Um, definitely, like we learned, if you give the right tools to people, you can democratize, yeah. people will do it themselves, and you can provide a ton of value. So I mean, certainly a lot of those things proved untrue. So don't listen to, to people <laughs> when they tell you no, you definitely have to be persistent and a little bit nutty. Um, And I think, you know, I was very persistent. I wouldn't take no for an answer, probably because I turned my life upside down also yep. to make this company work. But yeah, never expected to get acquired, just hoped to provide value and stay alive so that I have a job. <laughs> and then it happened. But I think that's how it happens. You know, you can't, I feel like you... There's no real set path. Like you can't predict something like no, that. No, you just have to build something that people need or, right. or want. I think that's the only way to grow a company. That's the only way to find users. That's the only way to get investors and get acquired. Yeah. I think it's interesting what you're saying about you believing that these micro influencers like can have those skills and do it on their mm -hmm. own because I feel like now, especially with the creator world being so large, like everyone is kind of like a small business owner of their own of their own brand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw something yesterday, I guess, like people on Reddit are going through everyone from The Bachelor to figure out if they've like filed LLCs oh to claim themselves as businesses. Oh, I have heard about this. And yes. Ari, his business is called Instagram Boyfriend. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyways, that's that was funny. just an Well, I was seeing this thing about PPP loans. That's right. probably how it came up. That's yes. it. It's everyone is a creator these days. And we talk about it a lot with our own clients internally too. It's like, Anyone can download Canva and make an asset or develop some sort of like TikTok presence or make a YouTube channel and just do beauty videos or fashion videos. It's like the world is so full of these micro influencers and there's so much potential for anyone to do it. Like I could be an influencer yeah. tomorrow if I really wanted to. I mean, you are. You, you are. guys are. Yeah, you have a podcast. I, wow. I know. Well, they that's, won't, that's they, still the point. Won't, they still won't give me the blue check mark. But we're working on <laughs> no, it. No, but you have to create your own check mark. That's the thing, you know, like you. Oh, I love that. You are influential. That's the thing. Like, I think a lot of creators don't realize the incredible value they bring to brands. Like you are an expert in something or you're passionate about something and you cultivate a listenership, a following or an audience around that. I mean, no one accidentally really listens to a podcast. It's not like in a feed <laughs> that is fed to you. Right. You True. kind of pursue it and you find it and you listen to it. Right. So I think. And, and yeah, I think the power of influencers, even at a micro level, is that they are like their own brand. Like you said, you know, you are everything. You are the editor, the producer, the writer, the creative brain, and you have the distribution channel, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go to an agency, you're going to pay a ton of money mm -hmm. to get all of that. And you get the creative, you know, a lot of the times, the things we've seen with YouTube and, and now with podcasting and podcorn, things creators come up to do for brands. Mm. It's insane. Yeah. It's better than some of the most coveted marketing agencies. Right. So, and when you scale that, and when you find a lot of voices or a lot of creators, you you get a ton of value, you get a ton of different content, you get a ton of different access to different audiences. And and with native and and kind of more organic advertising, yep. which is what we do, which is everything like host created and part of the episode, you you really are part of the conversation. Yeah. You're not just an yeah, ad. You're so not true. withdrawn as the brand. You're it's more of a brand ambassadorship yeah. where mm. it's a recommendation from a trusted friend. And obviously, with that power of for creators comes great responsibility to be thoughtful about the types of brands you're choosing to work with. Right. But it's incredibly powerful networks. I mean, I still you know 
turn to influencers. I mean, even though I'm in a business and I know obviously creators get paid for stuff, I know how mindful a lot of creators sure. are about mm-hmm. the brand they build and how thoughtful they are about who they recommend. So I still buy into those recommendations, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I want to talk about Podcorn because we, we started mm-hmm. dabbling a little bit, you know, little old podcasters like us <laughs> trying to again, like build something and you are helping these influencers and these podcasters get monetized. So tell us about Podcorn and what you're up to right now. Yeah, well, Podcorn essentially exists because of you guys and (laughs) and creators like you. So with Podcorn, you know, um, I spent some time on Google, obviously as a product manager and at YouTube saw at the same time also podcasting exploding, Mm -hmm. saw a lot of YouTubers and creators from Instagram and other mediums diversifying into podcasting and creating entirely different content than they were creating on their YouTube and kind of diving deeper behind the scenes, creating more mature stuff. And I just saw the medium blow up, but then looking deeper into it, saw a lot of the same problems emerging as we saw in the days of the early video influencer and that majority of the podcasters were monetizing pennies per listener hour through traditional advertising. There really was no way or no infrastructure for podcasters to be in the driver's seat and collaborate with advertisers directly without a middleman. I mean, you know, like if I wanted to reach you, for example, I will find your podcast on Spotify or whatever, but there's no contact information. I can't really ping you. Maybe I can find on Instagram. You might have like contact me for opportunities, but it's just very difficult manual process to try to get there, even if I ever get there. And the industry itself and podcasting was taking a very much like a radio ad slot mentality. No one was really thinking again podcasters are influencers. These are personalities with a voice and with fans and with a lot to say. So it just felt like with podcasting, there was also a lot more room to take mm-hmm. authenticity to a whole other level than any other medium before it. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. Like hearing you say it's like it was being compared to traditional radio placement makes so much sense. It was just like, okay, here are these eight seconds. Let's put an ad in here. And it's like, not that podcasts are just not the vessel for that. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, when we started with podcasting, kind of the essence in the space or what we were hearing a lot was that, you know, everybody likes the Joe Rogans, like Mm. everybody just cares about downloads. And it was, again, this thing that size is such a big deal. And I think that's because of traditional advertising and it's like more scalable and whatnot. But throughout our experience with YouTubers and with creators in general, we already knew again that size of creator doesn't correlate to success. And so we were able to create another company around that obviously it's very different because audio is a different beast yeah (laughs) in and of itself the content is very different the creators are different but it's kind of similar in that sense that we are able to leverage that experience and and knowledge especially of the value of the smaller creator or, or regardless of size i mean the independent creator ecosystem in podcasting is incredible creators have shown that it doesn't matter how big you are Mm. to create amazing content. Mm -hmm. And so how are you getting the word out to these maybe smaller podcasters, kind of like inception of marketing here, but what's like the marketing like to get people on board of Mm -hmm. Podcorn? Yeah, honestly, this is going to sound ridiculous. But I mean, at first, it was just like doing things that don't scale. So outreaching to creators, myself all day long, and having conversations, getting on the phone and asking them like, if this is something they would use or what they need. Um, some of our, when we were building the product, some of our first campaigns, like I did manually with our team where we just like managed it on the brand's behalf and worked through the process that the product would do. So it was like a manual process. We built a wait list of podcasters way 
before mm-hmm. we even launched. So that was like a strategic thing on our end. And obviously we're very connected in the creator economy. So we already knew a lot mm-hmm. of creators that were transitioning over into podcasting or just, you know, we knew how to get to creators. But a lot of it was manual. We also have incredible partnerships now with a lot of hosting providers like Buzzsprout, Podomatic, RSS. We just partnered with Squadcast. Amazing. So yeah, partnerships are are huge. Even with Famebit, you know, we partnered with Spotify and and others. I think that is always like partnerships really help propel your company forward. So that makes a difference. And then we eat our own dog food. We do a lot of our own (laughs) influencer marketing. We run our own campaigns. We hire our own creators who talk to other podcasters who give us shout outs and talk about podcorn. That helps. And then um, obviously there's like you know, we run ads in certain places, mm-hmm. like whether it's like Reddit groups or just publications mm-hmm. that speak to the podcaster community and try to do it that way. But there's a lot of everything. But I mean, I think our biggest one is word of mouth. Yeah. We've, we're so fortunate that podcasters love us, a lot of them, and they do recommend us to other creators, which I'm so, so fortunate for. Yeah. Can you share an example of like a a sponsorship that you've facilitated just to kind of help the listeners understand like how the brands and the podcasters specifically, like how it comes to life? Yeah. I mean, I love talking about this example, but like one of our brands that use podcorn called Lumen, they're a device that helps you hack your metabolism or make the most out of your metabolism. And they're kind of more of, they're a bit more of a pricey product, but also a product that requires some learning. Mm. So They saw incredible results from interviews with podcasters who are experts in the health and fitness field or like fasting. Okay. Um, And these weren't big podcasters. These are like small up and coming, but they've cultivated like a really niche community around the subject and people who are interested in it. So the brand went on a bunch of interviews, um, talked about their founding story, was able to like explain how the product works, the science behind it and and all that good stuff. And podcasters were able to ask really more journalistic, inquisitive questions about it. And I think that's the power of podcasting where it drives conversions is that conversational storytelling. You can go a lot deeper than you can with a lot of other mediums. That's such a good point from the like learning perspective of something that (laughs) a product that's complicated, you know, you need to spend a little bit more time with it. Yeah, I just think if you're an expert in a topic, whether it's fashion or fitness or tech you can dive in on a podcast in a in a really intimate way to a listenership that already is engaged with Mm -hmm. that topic and and wants to hear from an expert about it and for influencers it's great because not only do they get product they get to try it out they really get to be an influencer for their listenership Mm -hmm. but you can also get coupon codes and discounts and for your listeners which is not really something you can always do through traditional advertising so that's nice Well, I know there's some exciting news around Podcorn in general and something that we have already discussed with another one of the brands that you founded. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the recent acquisition there too? Yeah, so excited. So yeah, the second time around, we got acquired even quicker, (laughs) which... You're doing something right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which was even more unexpected how, how quickly that happened. But it's very exciting. I think it's, you know, going through an acquisition through Google before, you kind of understand what you're looking for in a partner. I've already seen the value of an acquisition and how quickly this type of partnership can propel you forward. I mean, we're huge believers in partnerships in general. Mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, very excited for this. Um, we had incredible synergies with the whole team, which is just amazing. We love the fact that we're still very much independent and operating as a startup and get to keep our startup culture, which is really fun. But yep. then um, we get to tap into a lot more resources that we wouldn't have as a startup, which is like a massive sales force, which, you know, I anticipate will drive a lot more liquidity into our marketplace sure. and a lot more opportunities to podcasters. And we'll be able to expand internationally a lot more quicker than we would on mm -hmm. our own and all that good stuff. So very excited for this. It's, you know, for a founder, it creates a lot of cushion for your team and for your vision. Um, you have a lot more resources and mm -hmm. you don't have to stay up awake at night worrying about, you know, your run rate. Of course. But um, yeah, it's a perfect match made in heaven for us, for sure. That's amazing. I feel like a lot of founders and business owners, when they talk about getting acquired, it's like giving up their baby and it's mm. hard to, you know, part ways. But the way that you describe it is just, you know, creating a lot more opportunity and wanting it to grow in that way to make you even prouder of your product as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on the acquirer and I think it depends on the people that you're working with at the end of the day, yeah. how much control you still have, or, you know, I think it can very much feel like that. Like you are losing this family or this team that you built, depending on like how the acquisition is structured. But for us, we're very fortunate that things still feel very much the same. And we're very excited. I mean, podcasting in general, I think is not, you know, it's still in such an early state. Right. And there's right. so, so far for it to grow. I mean, even when we were getting acquired by Google and YouTube, I mean, YouTube was already... I mean, video in general was already very well mm -hmm. established and on its way, whereas podcasting, it's getting there. So I'm just excited about to take it bigger yeah. this time even and about where it's going to go. Do you have any predictions for the future of podcasting? I mean, I definitely think that personality driven branded content is going to be the future of podcast advertising. I think we're going to see solidification of podcasters as influencers and yeah. celebrities. So like from covers of magazines, movie book deals, you know, podcasts churning into um, shows and really big collaborations, huge branded content partnerships. I think podcasters are going to be sought after for mm. their influence and intimate relationships with listeners. I mean, we already see native ads such as host reads ads outperform traditional ad spots. There's mm -hmm. research on that already, but. I think we're going to see also an emergence and proliferation of just other native branded content integrations that, you know, just like with YouTube, things emerged, yeah. like the way advertising looked at the beginning was very different three years later. And I think mm -hmm. we're going to see the same thing here. We talk about a lot on the show, a little bit about how all these TikTok stars are now getting TV shows and Netflix deals, mm -hmm. and they have their own podcasts now yeah. and books and all that. And it just feels like all every type of medium has legs these days. It's like an ecosystem. Yeah, you don't have to have just one platform anymore. It's way more versatile and huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think from to that standpoint, I think podcasting is because it's been so fragmented, I think it's very movable. Mm. And I think we're going to see multi-platform podcasts. I think we're going to see a version of podcasting on Instagram. I mean, you know, there's already people saying that YouTube is becoming a podcasting right, platform right. in some shape and form. So I just think we're going to see podcasting in different ways penetrate into other mediums, which I think is really exciting. I would love to end on one last question about your advice for podcasters looking to do a little bit more. 
I know we just talked about like expanding the reach by using different networks, but is there anything else that comes to mind when you think about suggestions for how people can grow their networks? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think using other social media platforms is a great way, you know, whether it's Instagram or or YouTube, Mm -hmm. putting your content out in a place where there's a sense of community, because I think one of the problems with podcasting right now to the detriment of the independent podcast creator is that there's certainly a lack of community. It's very difficult to interact with your fans and yeah, listeners. Yeah, I can't, like, comment on it. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, whether it's like Facebook groups around your podcast or whether it's you start putting them on YouTube to be able to have that commentary with your fans or Instagram. I think those are certainly ways. I think collaborations are really big. I mean, one of the things that really surprised me is the extent to which creators are using Podcorn, like they're signing up as brands also to post their own campaigns to Uh. collaborate with other creators. Collabs are huge, right? I mean, that it works. It's, you know, getting a recommendation from a creator who's already established in this space or interviewing you on their show, that works. So I think collabs are a really, really big factor. I'm inspired. We're collabing right now. I'm ready to grow our podcast. (laughs) Exactly. See, there's power in numbers and that's the power of influencer marketing. And that's the power of creators of all sizes is that, you know, if you work with 10 smaller creators, you'll see a lot more value than one big one, which could be a hit or miss. So that's what we say to brands, but that's the same for growing your your podcast is just collab and and spread yourself in as many places as you can and i think that that works really well for a lot of the creators that we've seen grow over the years well this was amazing thank you so much for um all of your insight i can't wait to see what company you build next yeah i feel like there's so much more potential coming from you and i'm so glad we got to chat today thank you so much it's been such a pleasure I'm, i'm a huge fan Wow, Jen, Agnes has launched three companies and we haven't done one. (laughs) At least we're podcasting. At least we're starting our platform here. I'm just kidding. It's amazing. It's truly remarkable. And she's such an inspiration. She just was like, I'm done with law school. Peace out. I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be successful. Shout out to those professors who were like... Encouraging her. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, I am so in awe of everything that she's accomplished. What a great interview that was. Okay, so moving into the account we want you to follow, it's Gap. So about, I don't know, six months to a year after Gap made headlines for (laughs) a kind of polarizing post where half of a hoodie was red and half of a hoodie was blue for the elections. You might remember it as the Unity hoodie. You might remember, yeah. One of the quickest jumped upon (laughs) social internet fires of 2020. It was taken down very quickly. (laughs) But now Gap is sticking to one color of sweatshirts. Jen, tell us what they're doing on TikTok. Yeah, so they're currently using influencer marketing, fitting for the episode, to ask users to help crowdsource what color hoodie they should produce this fall. So they've partnered with eight influencers in total to show different colorways that the classic Gap hoodie will be produced in. And whatever color gets the most votes slash engagement really is what they're going to produce we've seen brands do crowdsourcing things like this before using instagram stories stickers and things like that but i haven't seen it on tiktok yet so pretty cool make sure you go cast your vote so you don't get stuck with a brown gap hoodie (laughs) all the social ladies 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 now put your phones up